what scientists refer to it as is an evolutionary mismatch. So you put the genes of our ancestors, which is the same genes we have today, those traits, you know, where you're seeking out the calorie-rich foods and then your body learned to slow down when food wasn't available, well, you put those in the modern-day environment and everything's out of whack. And as a result, we can't stop eating. We're seeking out those calorie-rich foods. And now we're not moving. And then what do we do? We buy into the dieting world because we look for the quick fix. So it's not that our genes have changed over time. We have the same genes as our ancestors, but all you're doing is putting those very clever traits into the modern day environment and you have that evolutionary mismatch. As a result, we now have this problem um, known as the obesity epidemic and the dieting or weight loss industry is fueling on people's failures And that is why it's a growing industry, and that's why it's now worth $60 billion globally. That was Dr. Nick Fuller, and this is episode 304 of Better Than Yesterday. G'day and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg and this is my podcast. Thank you so much for being here. This podcast comes out twice a week. On Mondays I have a guest. Friday sometimes I have a guest. Uh, sometimes it's just me having a chat. doesn't matter. Um, each time the show is just hopefully going to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's all I'm here to do. Uh, plenty of other episodes if you want to go check them out. Thanks to everybody that wrote in and had lovely words to say about the Jackie O episode, which came out last week. Also, everybody that sent in a fantastic picture of what they're looking at while they listen to the show. It's called a podsy. Just take a photo of what you're looking at while you listen. A uh, great one came in from Susie, who's got a, her view listening is unpacking groceries, doing emptying the dishwasher and taking out the rubbish. That's perfectly exactly the same thing that I do when I listen to podcasts. Susie, thank you so much for that. Got a great one from Kimberly, who is up in Darwin on the banks of Rapid Creek, an absolutely glorious part of the world. Kimberly, thank you so much for that. And Rochelle wrote, loving the new podcast and the title music. And it was a picture of an elevator, by the way. I'm currently waiting for what seems to be the slowest elevator on the planet in my apartment building in Abu Dhabi. Well, listening to your latest check-in. Well, thank you so much, Rochelle. I hope everything in Abu Dhabi is good for you, whatever you're doing. Also, a big thanks to whoever got on in, on iTunes this week and rated and reviewed the show. It's a massive help to us here. If you just recommend the podcast to somebody, just let them know uh, that it exists. Show them perhaps how to download a podcast up on their phone or just show them how to search for it and find it. Great and came in from Elsie, who enjoyed it uh, very much, this conversation with Rosie. An awesome podcast series and the episode with Rosie Waterland is no exception from the vulnerable discussion on mental health to the lighter, friggin' fabulous Survivor recap and Savatula pitch. Yeah, Savatula. It's coming. I'm going to make it happen. Uh, great one came in from, oh, what a beautiful name, MP2406. Beautiful name. Uh, I have listened to nearly every episode of this show. I especially love 300, 301, 302. Osh was so right in his intro. My opinion of Jackie has changed because he never saw the person in the media. Well, I'm grateful that you did listen. Thank you so, so, so very much. Uh, really makes an enormous, enormous difference uh, to us here at the show. If you do rate and review the show, and certainly if you just tell someone about it to check in with you. Um, just I know I checked in on Friday. I'll just check in today. It's Monday. Why not? I've been doing some heavy lifting with my shrink. I told you I would. Um, it's a little like, little like uh, I guess, like the most intense CrossFit class after having not been to CrossFit for a long time. 
uh, exposure therapy. Um, yeah, it's full on. I just have to be willing, basically. The exposure therapy, the way it works is that she um, she has this kind of menu of things that we go through and then I just have to be willing to be with how uncomfortable it is to look at these things and consider these things. It's very, very tough. And um, But I'm grateful that I did it because I was able to, with her, basically work through a bunch of stuff that I've been avoiding. Now, this may sound strange to you, but anyone who's got um, like solid kind of trauma or anxiety or like like really solid trigger. People say, oh, I'm triggered. Like, fuck it, let me tell you about triggering, all right? Like when you want to actually put poo in your underpants when you hear or see or smell something, that's being triggered. Anyway, so I've got a bit of that and I've been avoiding it, all right? Particularly, and it gets, the thing is, the more you avoid it, the worse it gets because your brain associates it with something to be afraid of. And so it's going to sound weird to you, but sitting there in my therapist's office, I just took out my phone and had a look at the weather app and just looked at the numbers for five minutes. Now, that might seem like completely benign to you, but for me, that's super hardcore for me. That's like finding a video that says NSFL on Reddit and watching it all the way through. It's really scary for me to do that, but I had to spend five minutes to do it and I have to be willing to be with the discomfort. Um, And hopefully it retrains my my reaction to that kind of stuff. Um, I need to do it a few times a day and I just have to be willing to be with that discomfort and be willing to accept the realities of the trouble that we're in as far as climate in this time in history goes and to be with the knowledge, just to be with the knowledge that our government here in Australia is ultimately just in denial and just to be with the knowledge that even if we get to net zero carbon emissions by 2025, that the planet will keep warming because there's a lag in the system of about 20 years. We're experiencing the weather now because of things that we did 20 years ago and emissions have been climbing in the last 20 years. So it doesn't matter what we do today, the next 20, 30 years, it's, it's, change is happening. It's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. And just to be with all of that and be prepared to be with that reality and then continue to have a nice day with my family continue to pat a baby on the butt like I'm doing right now, continue to engage with Audrey and talk about why it's so long between now and when Survivor comes back. It is quite tough, I'm not going to lie, but I'm sure I'm not alone. And in fact, I came back from gym this morning and I was talking to Audrey about it. I had a bit of a think as I was lifting heavy things. It's almost like going through a kind of grief, if you will. Once you accept that this particular version of how you thought things were going to play out will not play out and something else far different is what's happening. And just kind of being with that, it's it, it feels like, I was telling Audrey, it feels like it felt when my mum passed away. It's like, ah, you know, especially on Sundays. I'm recording this on a Sunday. I miss her on Sundays because we would always talk on a Sunday. But I don't want to live through the end of the world in my head until or if it even happens, as much as my brain wants me to, really does. I just have to be in control of the things that I can, take action where I can, donate to people who can help, try and be an advocate, have this conversation with you right now, let go of what I can't control. That's the really tough part. That's the really tough part. It was interesting, and I'm sure you've seen the reaction to the 
the climate strike march on the 20th of September and the people that don't want to accept what is actually happening write it off or dismiss it. Well, they'll get another chance to do that. Uh, I think between October the 7th and October the 18th, the good folks at Extinction Rebellion are, are, are planning a, a whole big bunch of stuff. And you can either go along to those demonstrations, go along to those marches, or you can donate funds to them. Their, their website is ausrebellion.earth, A-U-S, rebellion.earth is the domain name. And, you know, like I said before, gym really helps. Go to the gym. Well, at least it must do because um, I've just actually joined up at a a new one a little closer to home because even though I did like the one that was further away, I just don't have time to get out there and back with baby around. Um, So I just joined up at a new gym a little closer to home and even with a newborn and all the hourly duties that come with being a dad of a newborn, I guess I come back from lifting with a better energy than when I leave for the gym because Audrey's like, oh, no, 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 go, go, go. You are easy to be around when you come back from the gym. So fair enough. Heavy things it is. We've talked to that before. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So let me tell you about my guest today. I'm quite excited to have this conversation. Dr. Nick Fuller is a leading obesity expert at the University of Sydney and the RPA Hospital, and he's the creator of Interval Weight Loss. His current position as research program leader with the Charles Perkins Centre at the University of Sydney involves working with government and industry to identify and develop cost-effective treatments for the treatment and the management of not only obesity, but also related physical and mental disorders. He's a best-selling author. He's written two books. He's the author of Interval Weight Loss and Interval Weight Loss for Life. And he talks about this, but 95% of people fail on their weight loss attempts. Now, I'm someone who's, you know, in a quite high-profile way, lost a lot of weight quite publicly when I did that men's health thing. But over my years, over my life, absolutely have I tried weight loss and then just all the fat just comes straight back on my body within a couple of years. Easy. And Dr. Nick says it's not because of a lack of willpower, but because of the biological protections left over from our time on earth as hunter-gatherers. 
Dr. Nick uses science to teach the body how to overcome these protections so that you and I can lose weight without the body fighting it. It's a really interesting conversation. I certainly hope you get a lot out of it. For more information, you can always go and check out his website, drnickfuller.com, D-R-N-I-C-K-F-U-L-L-E-R.com. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Nick. Thanks for coming, Nick. Pleasure, pleasure. It's How great. are you? I'm good. It's good to do this with you and Mate, I'm, talk to you about it. I'm you know? stoked to do this with you because uh, weight loss has been such a part of my life. Yeah. And I say to, I mean, as a, you know, I'm in recovery. I don't, I don't drink or do any drugs anymore. Yet compulsiveness is still in my day, mm-hmm. and eating's a real tough one because yep. you've got to do it. Sure. When I did the men's health thing, I um, that little silver scale behind the knife block over there, yeah. I was just I just weighed everything. Mm-hmm. But it got to the point where I was so obsessive, I, I, I wouldn't even realise other people were in the kitchen with me. Right. And I really started to miss out on the communal aspect of eating with my family and yeah, you know, I was eating something different. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, just the pleasure of being with people sure. in the room and preparing yep. the food together and yep. all that kind of stuff. So, And what I'm interested to talk about with you is that I started to experiment with uh, fasting and intermittent yeah. fasting and, uh, and things like that. And I've, I've found it to be way easier than that. <laughs> sure is. Way easier. Yeah. Way easier I'm than that. I'm surprised they're still there. Uh, well, <laughs> that's only for like when we're baking and stuff yeah. now. But I do want to kind of, can I talk about that to break it down? Because I know that you know, people flick through their phone every single day. Never before in history have we had so many subconscious or conscious messages about where we should be as far as our bodies go. But I'm interested to know, you are, it'd be fair to say that you're probably this country's leading obesity researcher. I definitely am recognised as a leading obesity expert, but we have some great researchers and clinicians and whatever we want to refer to them as in Australia, on our own very shores. Like we are actually seen as the leaders, I think, across the globe when it comes to obesity. So really, you've got the US and the UK looking to us. Hmm. We publish a a lot of top tier scientific research in, in all of the leading journals as well. So New England Journal of Medicine, The Lancet, BMJ. So the list goes on and on. We're definitely we're definitely leading the charge. But when it comes to the problem itself, which is overweight and obesity, we're doing just as bad as the rest of the world. So we're fifth in terms of the prevalence, which is basically the rates of overweight and obesity. Um, So you've got the US, then you've got Mexico, New Zealand, Hungary, and then we're fifth on the list. And It's not slowing down either. No. And we have public health care. So we all pay for that. Exactly. Which economically is not great. No, obesity <laughs> does it. Like the, the condition, disease, it costs an absolute fortune, indirect and direct costs. Uh, so, I mean, yes, we need to do much more around this area, not only from a prevention point of view, but also managing those who have uh, obesity, you know, or, or struggling with their weight because otherwise this cost just spiral out of control. You then develop other disease. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be mental health disorders, but also other physical health disorders. So type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease and cancer. Yeah. yeah. 
which come back to, to diet. Yes, a lot of it does. Heaps of it does. That's the thing that I, you know, because I, I have a, a restrictive diet. I chose to be vegan, but I didn't choose to be celiac. I discovered I'm celiac about a year and a bit ago. So I was just walking through town the other night. We're going to go see a friend play in, in Ultim in Haymarket. And I'm just walking past all these restaurants and they just Korean and Japanese and everyone's smelling all this food. And I'm like, I'll never be able to go in there. I'll never eat it. Ever. <laughs> so much of the world I won't experience because I can't put it in my mouth. <laughs> True. <laughs> that's okay. You know, I don't want cancer to do it, so that's okay. <laughs> you know? But I'm interested, like, how did you get on this path? How did you, why, why was this the thing that fascinated you? So my background started 15 years ago in actually corporate health. So working behind some of those shows, weight loss shows, giving the advice to contestants and families that were appearing on those shows. Uh Uh-huh. But sadly, I knew what we were doing was wrong and it was just obviously for visual effect, TV, you know, the media effect and that these people would be worse off when we follow them up down the track. Now, you just have to take one example and that's, the show we all watched for many years called The Biggest Loser. A lot of those contestants that appeared on uh, different series have now been followed up by leading experts and, and one in particular in the US who's done a very good job at this. He went back and followed up these participants and these people not only have put the weight on since obviously um, going back to their real real world life and leading a normal life, but they've never recovered from a physiological point of view, which means within their body, it's not working as efficiently as it was before they lost the weight. So the metabolisms, which is the biggest thing, has never recovered. So put, to put that simply, you have a resting metabolic rate, how much energy you burn at rest, you lose weight, that will go down because you've got less body mass. We know that when you lose weight, it actually goes down Um, beyond what can be controlled for. But even after stacking the weight back on these people that were on the show, their metabolisms are still lower than before they lost the weight. So they're basically just going to keep putting on more and more weight for the rest of their lives. So let let, let me just, because I had to learn a lot about resting metabolic rate, but if this is the first time people have, you know, thought about this, it might help to draw some analogies. The resting metabolic rate is, let's say, for example, you drive your car... 10 kilometers every day, the resting metabolic rate is the exact amount of fuel. And that's all you do. You just drive at the speed limit and the resting metabolic rate is the exact amount of fuel you need to maintain that vehicle at that speed for the trip. All right. How much energy you need to be awake, have your body move, walk around, do stuff until you go to sleep. Yes. Or how much energy in in a 24 hour period. Yes. Now, if you were to say, for example, drive that car very, very fast, you would use more energy and you'd run out of fuel before the end. And so you would then be in a deficit, which is where weight loss happens. Correct? Yes. Great. When you okay. start burning more energy than you're putting in, yes, you right. will be in a deficit. But metabolic rate is only one of those controlling factors. Right, right. So what I'm just, I just want to get people around this. So you're saying when you go on those big weight loss adventures, yes. drastic weight loss from these... I'm going to say morbidly obese people. They're yes. very, very, very big. Yes. 
when you go on those, your resting metabolic rate then drops, so your body's using less fuel to stay alive for mm-hmm. 24 hours. Yes. But that is, it's almost set like a thermostat. And so then when you get the weight back on, that metabolic rate does not increase to where it was. It stays down. Exactly. And so therefore you are in surplus way more than you were. So you're eating more, you're eating this, probably the same size meals, but because your body's not burning as much, you're in a much bigger caloric surplus. So therefore you're putting weight on faster than you did before. Yes, you burn, your body's not burning the fuel as efficiently as it was oh, before. That's a quagmire. Yeah, so don't think of it just as, as calories, but it's just not actually working as efficiently. The car's not going to the shops. Yeah. It's, it's conking out along the way. Yeah. That's what's happening. And as a result... Your weight then goes up and up yeah. and up and up and up. And every time you go on some sort of weight loss program, whether it's for a TV show yeah. or you're doing, you know... 12-week juice cleanse! Yeah, exactly, a 12-week juice, juice cleanse. We'll lose weight, right? We'll have a competition. We'll see who can lose the most amount of weight. The weight will just pile off. That's the easy part. But then your body starts to work differently. It fights that weight loss. Your body changes within... An, itself all of these metabolic processes actually halt slow down and as a result that car that you're talking about stops working as efficiently why does that body fight the weight loss well simply put that is due to our ancestors so we can thank them for that basically we evolved to for instance seek out calorie dense high energy foods and often we wouldn't go or we would go long periods of time without eating Okay, so in the hunter-gatherer lifestyle, we're going about our day, we might hunt an animal, we find a beehive, we get some honey, we then might uh, get some vegetables and nuts and seeds as well. We take that back and we feast on that food. But then we might go long periods of time without food. What's long? It might be days, could be even longer. But it's more than what we're used to in the current day environment because remember now we're surrounded by food everywhere. So our ancestors are going through this time where they're hunter-gathering for food, they seek out that food, they have to expend a lot of energy to do it, they're hunting all day, they get back home, back to camp, everyone shares the food, then they basically, their body's going to shut down. They learn to store that fat and that food until that next, well, I guess, batch of food becomes available and as we just said it can often be long periods of time hang on just really really quickly so just as far as evolution is concerned evolution is a very very slow thing yes despite what some people who believe in books that that were written by deities believe evolution is a very 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 slow thing so we still had this i eat a big feed maybe it's then another day two days three days before me and my family eat the fat of an animal, the meat of an animal again. So my body has stored the fat and the excess food, the excess calories that I ate three days ago and is burning them off, burning them off, so I'm fine. And all as long as I drink water, I'm okay. And then when I eat again in three days from now, I'm fine. Somewhere along that way, someone went, hey, this if we plant all these plants in a row, we don't have to run around chasing bison all the time. We can just eat this stuff. Great idea, agriculture. And very, very quickly... That transformed humanity in a tiny, tiny scope of time, all right? And then within 
100 years, two, 300 years, whatever it took for the technology to exist around. Suddenly now we don't run around hunting and gathering anymore. We grow the food, we keep the animals in a pen because um, they're always they're easier to hunt when they're fenced in. And then, but the evolutionarily our bodies stayed at that point. Is that correct? Exactly. Right. So what we refer to it, you know, or what scientists refer to it as is an evolutionary mismatch. So you put the genes of our ancestors, which is the same genes we have today in the modern day environment, those traits that we just talked about, you know, where you're seeking out the calorie rich foods and then your body learned to slow down when food wasn't available. Well, you put those in the modern day environment and everything's out of whack. And as a result, we can't stop eating. Remember, we saw, we're seeking out those calorie rich foods and now we're not moving. And then what do we do as the, I guess, solution, we buy into the dieting world because we look for the quick fix. So it's not that our genes have changed over time. We have the same genes as our ancestors thousands of years ago. But all you're doing is putting those very clever traits into the modern day environment and you have that evolutionary mismatch. As a result, we now have this problem um, known as, you know, the obesity epidemic. And it's getting worse and worse and the dieting or weight loss industry is fueling on people's failures and that is why it's a growing industry and that's why it's now worth $60 billion globally. Do diets work? They don't. (laughs) Simply put, I mean, we work, I work and my colleagues work at Australia's leading and largest obesity service. This is the University of Sydney and Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. And what's obesity? That's like a BMI? Uh, So clinically, BMI, if we talk about body mass index, which is your your height, um, weight over your height squared, it's a BMI of 30. But to be classified overweight, so just having a few kilos around, say, your hips and your butt or or your midsection, your abs, it's 25. So most of us are actually overweight 70% of the population are now clinically diagnosed as overweight and you know a large percent are also clinically diagnosed as having obesity so we see patients of all walks and talks of life some people only have a few kilos to lose but other people have 50 60 70 80 kilo more kilos to lose and we're trying to paint a better picture of what weight management should look like. So we look at everything from simple dietary interventions through to medical devices, pharmaceutical and natural medicines, and also surgery. So what is the one thing that we see in common with every patient that presents to our clinic? It's that they have tried diets. They have been out there by themselves, online, maybe scrolling through social media, getting on the internet and turning to the next diet that hits the shelves. And that's what they're doing repetitively. They're doing it four to five times every year. They've followed 60 diets by the age of 45. 60? 60. And they will spend 31 years, maddening years of their life dieting. And they're just dieting themselves fatter and fatter and fatter. And this is, we know this, we have data that says fewer than 5% succeed on their weight loss journey. And this is when we follow them up longer term. Remember, anyone can lose the weight. We all celebrate those short-term successes. But when you go and follow someone up down the track, they've put the weight back on and they've put more than what they lost back on. And that goes again back to to the evolution. 
and there was something else that we didn't talk about, but, well, you did touch on it. You talked about the thermostat and that weight that we, you know, we would stay constant at. That's basically known as our set point. And that set point weight is the weight you will protect. So you impose a stress on it. So let's go back to our hunter-gatherer's time, the stress being no food. Our body will slow down and metabolism would slow down to make sure you wouldn't lose weight. And go below that set point. And go below the set point. Otherwise, weight would just continue to go down and, and we wouldn't then be able to procreate. So obviously that is also doomed for failure. But every time you go on a diet, your body now is protecting that set point okay so that's why when you start to lose weight your body starts to fight itself it starts to fight that weight loss and go back to its start point it does that through basically eight well-researched biological pathways and the two easiest to digest and easiest to understand is one the metabolism which we talked about remember that goes down when you lose weight but it also goes down further than what we can compensate from just reduction in body mass but the second thing is your appetite hormones. So every day when we sit down, we get these clever signals from our, our adipose or fat tissue and our gut going to our brain telling us when we should and shouldn't eat. Now, when you lose weight, that appetite regulation system or appetite you know, signaling actually again gets out of whack. It will, they, those hormones will start telling you to eat more. They will start telling you to put more food on your plate so that, again, you go back to your start point. Now, there's another, what, six well-researched biological pathways, and these relate to different glands like your thyroid. But basically, what your body's doing is very cleverly protecting itself, and it's just doing that due to, again our ancestors and evolution. When I was, I can totally relate to that. When I was on that men's health adventure, I did 10 weeks and I, it was extraordinary. I lost 11 kilos, I think, 12 kilos. I put on two and a half kilos of muscle in that time. And every now and again, like you still have to have a life. So I would go to, I remember this one particular, I went to lunch at my friend Will's house and they'd created this beautiful feed. And I was like, oh, I'm only going to have one stuffed capsicum. <laughs> and I have one and then something hit inside me and you guys can just keep talking. I'm just going to eat that whole tray. Mm. And I actually couldn't stop myself. And it was wild because I'd been so careful for the past like five or six weeks or how long I've been going on for it. Similarly, when we did the photo shoot and I was free and clear, man, I was just a hoover. <laughs> I couldn't stop it. It was, it, I was, it was like back when I was drinking. I was like actually powerless over... But bear in mind, like, I'm still restricted. I was eating vegan food and, you know, gluten-free food, so I'm not, like, shoveling ice cream and, you know, but I'm still, like, eating, like, lots of tofu and, like, heaps of stuff, just shoveling, just volumes and volumes into it. So I'd be, I'd be distended, you know, when I put a shirt on. You could see my stomach pushing through yep. my body, but I was actually unable to stop it. And I'm wondering, is that the sort of thing that gets – because I'm wondering, like, how do people end up in these dire situations? How do someone who's like 22, 23 and, you know, I saw someone like this the other day, he couldn't have been more than 22, 23 years old and he had to have been like 140, 150, like, like to the – like I can't wipe my own butt size. Hmm. He was a big, big, big boy. How do people end up in that predicament? Yeah, so I, you just mentioned about your own experience with the 10-week the challenge. I mean, you know, whatever we can 
refer to that as it's like another sort of yeah. dietary approach, yeah. diet. And you talked about seeking out more food. Now, that is another one of those eight biological pathways that kick in a gear. When you deprive yourself of food, your body will tell you to go and have that food. And this is not just a subjective feeling of increased appetite. We know that food preferences change. We can do that through clever brain imaging. We watch what happens to a person's brain when you subject or put them in front of different foods after they've lost weight. And they start to seek out more calorie-rich, high-energy foods that are high in fat and high in sugar. That preference has changed from what it was before they lost weight. Now, again, that's just due to evolution and what the foods that we used to so seek out. it's not willpower. It's not willpower. Wow. It has nothing to do with willpower whatsoever. Now, that's what we've been brainwashed to believe. And that's what the dieting industry brainwashes to believe because if it's our lack of willpower, we just go and buy the program again, right? We sign up to it again. We give them another few hundred dollars and, you know, we lose kilos. We put it back on and then we talk to our friends or Betty down the street and we're convinced it's due to our lack of willpower. And this is why we keep buying in and we're buying in four to five times every year. Now, how do we get into this position was your question. Because of those two main reasons, one is our addiction to food. Remember now we live in this environment that is completely different to what we you know, evolved during our ancestors' time. Now calorie-rich foods are literally everywhere. We don't have to walk more than a block before, you know, there's a corner shop or a multinational corporation or whoever it might be where you can access food and low-cost, high-energy, nutrient-poor food. And then in conjunction with that, we don't go and walk the 15, 20 kilometers what we used to do even before the 1980s. That was quite common. So we don't walk, we use motor vehicles and we, we stand in front of technology, sit in front of technology all day. We literally are leading this sedentary lifestyle and shoveling food down our mouths. Sleep becomes a, so everything suffers, right, basically. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is because we are looking for the short-term fix. We are dieting ourselves fatter. They're the two main reasons why we're getting into this position. So the very industry that's proclaiming to, you know, solve, they want to doing something for the better good, well, they're contributing to the very problem. And that really is complete madness. And you know, when you want to look at two reasons, it is because of our inability to stop eating and two, our inability to keep looking for that short-term fix. We don't look to the future because we have to seek out what is in front of us right now and, and then. That's what we evolved to do and that's what we will always do. There's, there's certainly when you start to get to the really, really big people, there's got to be some sort of comorbidity around psychological and mental health because there's, there's got to be a point where you just go like, oh, fuck it, and I'll eat an entire Sara Lee cheesecake. Yes. You know, because yes. I'm already disgusting. No one's going to touch me. No one looks at me. I'm invisible when I walk down the street. People avert their eyes. No one cares. Therefore, I don't care. So I'm going to eat this fucking cake and I'm going to drink two litres of Coke. Yep. So you've got two sort of situations there. Firstly, you know, and I'll go back to our clinics and, and sort of the patients that we see and, and the thousands of patients that we're seeing every month. Some people present with mental health disorders and then along the journey they develop a physical health disorder and that might be, for instance, a weight problem. 
It could be due to medications or many other factors in their life. Then you also have people that are presenting with physical health disorders. And it might only be a couple of kilos, but they might have a body image disorder or some sort of distorted perception of what a normal healthy weight is. So, you know, they want to actively do something about their weight. They've been trying to do that online for God knows how many years before they came to us. But then it's this vicious cycle pretty much known as the what the hell effect. So you might have a person that's now beyond what they see as being able to be helped. So they, they really do have a large amount of weight. They're considered to have morbid obesity. So some of them might be 200 kilos plus. They, you know, they really are struggling. Some people might be much less, but they still will have potentially serious psychological and mental health disorders associated with their weight. Now, they're still trying to do something in many regards, but they do it in a way where they deprive themselves. They think, okay, I'll just cut that out of my life, that cheesecake or that Coke or that biscuit, packet of biscuits, whatever it is, it's our go-to foods. We all have them. But the same thing happens. You, you can cut them out for a short period of time, but then we just say, what the hell? You know, those, those feelings of guilt overpower your urge to go and eat that food. And then you end up having the whole packet instead of just the one or the two. So there's so many different factors involved here. And this is why we are trying to emphasize to the, the population that obesity is a disease and you need to treat it accordingly. You need to stop listening to people that are unqualified and basically selling you things that are unevidence-based and doing more harm than good. Because while you're in that cycle, that vicious cycle of um, you know de deprivation followed by indulgence, you're never going to succeed because your biology is always going to fight itself. And then you might end up being that person that is then 150, 200 kilos. Because we've had many cases where people have reported being otherwise in a normal healthy weight. And this is particularly common with younger females nowadays. So they have this distorted perception of what a healthy body weight is. And as a result, they're actively always trying to do something about it. But like I was saying, when you're doing that and you're intentionally trying to change your weight or weight cycling, all that's going to happen is your weight will go up over time and then you will have a physical problem with your health, with your weight, being that your weight or you will be then clinically diagnosed as having obesity. Now, your weight, you're saying, you said it before, we're dieting ourselves fat and you just said your weight will go up over time. That's because from what you said before, when we go on one of these diets, we change the resting metabolic rate, but then it doesn't reset back to what it was when we were, say, when I was, and you mentioned before, when I was on meds, I was, there was a side effect of the medication. I was about 93, 95 kilos. I'm about 80 now. So yeah. I was 15 kilos heavier yeah. at least. All right. But what you're saying is like, say, for example, if I wasn't on meds, if I was 96 all right, and I came down to 80 or I got even lower, if I got down to 70, my uh, resting metabolic rate changes to someone who's 70 kilos. But then if I continue my eating habits back to what I was when I was in my 90s, the rest of metabolic rate doesn't go back to what it was when I was in the 90s. And so my caloric surplus is now way more than it was when from before. Is that right? Yeah. And that's, but remember, this is because your body's changing to make sure you go back to your set point, your starting weight. Trying to get me back to 96. Trying to get you back to 96. Right, right, right. So you've lost this, you've gone from the 96 down to the 85 or the 80 or whatever it might be. And this could be anyone that's following uh -huh. some sort of weight loss program. 
And as your weight starts to go down, and it's usually just even after a small amount of weight loss, which is about three kilos, this is what we consider clinically significant. And that's because that's the weight that will improve your health long-term. Now, once you start to lose that small amount of weight, that's when your body functions start to change. So metabolic rate is one of them. That's going to go down to make sure you burn less energy at rest. You burn less energy at rest, what's going to happen? Your weight's going to go back up. But remember, there's other things too. It's also the appetite hormones. Remember, they're changing. So those signals from your stomach to your brain are telling you to eat more, to tell you to go and get more food. It's also that food deprivation. So we've cut out all of those foods that are in that cutely, neatly packaged 12-week program and all the favorites are cut out. Of course, we're meticulously weighing out you know, 80 grams of meat on the scales and, 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 and everything else that goes with that meal plan. Now, as you're doing that, your weight is going down, but your biology is changing, your physiological responses within the body are changing and they're telling you to go and eat more food. You substrate the amount of you know, energy you're burning at rest. We talked about metabolism. Well, usually when we're sitting at rest, we're predominantly burning fat. So when we sit here right now, instead of burning carbs, we're predominantly burning fat. But when you lose weight, that substrate will change over from fat to carbs because carbs, we don't burn as much energy at rest. Again, it's another mechanism to make sure you go back to that 86 that you're at. So there are so many different factors coming into gear to ensure that you're basically doomed for failure the minute you sign up or start that program. And this is what many people fail to understand. When you say burning carbs, do you mean uh, glycogen? Do you mean the the readily available? That's right. Right, okay. Yeah, carbs are stored as, uh, they're broken down in the body as glucose and then stored as glycogen in in our muscles and and liver, for instance. So instead of burning the fat from the adipose tissue, you start burning your glycogen stores. So with the analogy that I've been given a a bunch of analogies, but the one that I I was talking to my brother about the other day is when you see one of those giant articulated uh, fuel tankers running down the street, you know, it might have 87,000 litres of diesel in the back, all right, but if the tanks in the front run out of diesel, it's really hard to run a hose into the back to fill up from his massive tank. So the tanks in the front of the truck, that's the glycogen. The tanks in the back of the truck, that's the fat. And you've got to run through the stuff at the front before you can get into the stuff at the back. Yeah. And, you know, your body will be very clever in that it'll be like, well, I don't want to use that stuff that's at the front anymore. I want to start using the stuff at the back because that's not going to cost me as much energy. Right. Or vice versa. When you lose the weight, I want to burn more energy so that I go back to my set point, my 86 kilos. So it's, you know, it's changing the systems all the time. Wow. Yeah, to to basically make sure it stays the same. It's getting rid of any stress. It's eliminating any stress from the body and, you know, caloric restriction or dieting or weight loss, whatever we want to refer to it as, basically one of the biggest stresses you can impose on the body. Really? Yep. Wow. It's like physical trauma, you know. Yeah. If, if you hit me right now, that's a huge stress on my body. My body will go into shutdown to protect itself. Same sort of thing. If you, you go and follow, you know, we, tomorrow we go and sign up to a program and what is it? It's a huge stress on the body. The mm. body will do all it can to eliminate it to make sure that you go back to your starting point. So there's a bit of a bleak picture because most people, all they know is eat less, move more. That's like it. Uh, it's four words, but it doesn't work for a lot of people. And what you're saying is every time we do that, we affect that set point and it's actually getting worse and worse and worse. So, Nick, what do we do about it? 
Well, what you just said is exactly right, and that's why very few people are succeeding, sadly. And that's why it's one of the biggest, well, one of the two reasons why we're getting fatter as a nation. Now, we talked about, you know, our ancestors and the problem being evolutionary. Now, just as the problem is evolutionary, the solution must be evolutionary, right? Otherwise, how are we going to overcome those biological protections that come into gear every single time? We're not going to be able to. So what we worked out was through seeing our patients and basically they're human guinea pigs. So they come into these you know, hospital clinics and we can do everything with them. We put them through imaging machines. We can see what's going on in their brain but also throughout their entire body. We can take blood off them, see what's happening to all these They're hormones. consenting to all this. They're consenting like, to all they're, they're these things. Pigs. Like they are like, they're, I'm here because I need help. How exactly. can I help you? They help me getting, and others. They are getting state-of-the-art care. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as a result, we're also collecting as many different measures off them to make sure that we're giving them the best state-of-the-art care. Yeah. Like, you know, bloods and, and, and imaging. Now, when you remember follow some sort of energy or eat less, move more type approach. You lose the weight and then the body starts to work differently. So what you've got to do is you've got to overcome that protection. So we worked out that the only way to do that was actually to impose breaks along the way. So remember I talked about a weight loss of about, you know, sort of three kilos being clinically significant. Well, that's when your body starts to work differently. That's when you know, your blood pressure will improve, your cholesterol level might go down, you start to feel a lot better. And, and also, if you keep that small amount of weight loss off, say you went from your 86 and you went down to you know, 83, 82 kilos and kept that off for five years, that will significantly reduce your risk of dying prematurely from heart disease. Fantastic. Yeah. It's only a small amount of weight loss, but it's hard to keep off, remember. So... When you lose a small amount of weight, you then have to think, okay, well, if that's the case, your body's starting to work differently, what do you do? You have to impose a break. You basically got to say to that patient, you're not allowed to lose weight anymore. You've actually got to stop losing weight. So you've basically been out on this plan. You're actually told to eat more. You don't have to weigh calories, uh, measure calories, count calories, measure foods, and you know, incorporate activity in life, et cetera, which we can talk about in a second. But you're losing this small amount of weight over a course of a month, so two to three kilos. Then you have to stop and allow your body to reset at that lowered and, and now adjusted set point, which is only a couple of kilos lighter. After that month of having a break, you can then go on and lose weight again. Only another couple of kilos, which is quite easy to do because typically we can lose weight very easily, then you've got to maintain again for the fourth month. So you're basically following this weight loss, weight maintenance, weight loss, weight maintenance, weight loss, weight maintenance approach. Now, when we do that and we're taking all of these measures within our patients, we can see that the body's not fighting itself. And all of those typical responses that we would get where you get your metabolism lowering and your appetite hormones changing and your fat switching over to carbs, well, they don't come into gear. Because you're giving your body a chance to rest at lowered set points along the way and you're not losing large amounts of weight within each increment. Now, you know, you might be listening right now thinking, well, that's 
one hell of a slow journey. It's two kilos every couple of months. Well, that's going to take me, what, 12 months to lose 12 kilos. Yeah, of course. And that's a large amount of weight because remember, we can lose 12 kilos in four weeks, but what happens? You put 13 back on, right? So that's the hardest thing. And this is the biggest barrier that people have when they get that message and this this program, which is basically what we've called interval weight loss. One, they get excited when they see the number going down on the scale. So they want to keep losing weight during the weight maintenance months. Well, what's going to happen? They're doomed for failure. Their biology will change. But then secondly, it's very hard to get a person to think beyond that wedding that's coming up in a couple of weeks or the birthday party or the engagement party. So you've got two major barriers you're trying to overcome. One is that, look, you've got to actually halt every second month and impose a break. And the second thing is you need to look to six to 12 months down the track rather than three months' time for that event you're trying to slim down for. If a person can overcome those two barriers and follow the plan, look, what happens is they can actually lose weight and then they're not getting to that lowered weight and then their body fighting itself, which is so is sort of refreshing because typically, remember, they're always getting to that point and then it doesn't matter how strong they are with their willpower, their body's always making sure they go back to their start point. So I'm guessing like if people are, what did you say, 31 diets by the time they're 50, 45? So they'll be on 61 diets by the time they're 45, so four to five diets every year. Okay. So most of those people that get the message, so they hear about interval weight loss, they relate to that message because they've been on the diets. Well, that's why they've been on 61 diets. Yes. This probably wouldn't be the first thing you'd try. I'm guessing this would be the thing that you try if you're like, you know what, I have tried for 10 years and yes, that happens every time and yes, it gets harder every time. I need to do something different. I'm done with this. I've got to try something different. But I understand very much to be fearful of the weight maintenance because, that, whoa, 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 hang on, it's not going down. Look out, what if I go up? What if I get 100 grams? What if I get 200 grams? Ooh, it's here I go again. It's all over. What does the weight maintenance month look like? How does the eating... Well, firstly, what does the weight loss eating look like? Yep. Is there is there scales and that sort of thing? And what does the weight maintenance month look like? Very, very good question about especially the ups and downs with the 100 mm. grams or the 200 grams. Mate, if you're shredding for the wedding, yeah. you are obsessing we about are. that We are. We're on the scale six times a day. Mate. We have a meal and then we're like, oh, hang on, why is my weight going up by half a kilo? I just had a plate of, you know, we'll, we'll point the finger at anything, whether yeah. it's the plate of pasta or the, the tub of yogurt, and there's a new food or food product that we, you know, blame every day of the week. It used to be fat, then it was carbs, and now, believe it or not, it's actually dairy. So these are the foods that we're cutting out of our <laughs> diet because they're the ones we think make us fat, but they're not the foods that make us fat. Yeah. But what is the plan? I mean, well... It is comprehensive, and this is why it was translated in, into this interval weight loss program because, one, you don't need to go into hospital clinics to succeed. We found that once people get the right information and they have to stop wading through all that plethora of rubbish online, you know, not just internet but social media, then they didn't have to keep reading all the time. They just had this complete guide to what was based on science. So they're getting all the information on what to eat, and, you know, how much to have each day, etc. But then secondly, getting a scientific plan for how to go about a weight loss journey so they wouldn't get the same response they always got. Now, 
most people have been on the dieting journey, so they do relate. But even the people that don't, obviously, we're trying to get that message to them too. Because if they start on that yo-yo diet journey, they're only going to end up bigger and bigger each time. Now, the program basically has six principles. They are based around not only food, retraining your brain, but also other important measures like sleep and exercise. So we tell people to eat more, not less. So we're getting people to actually have breakfast as their biggest meal of the day. Dinner is their smallest meal. They have to sit down at dinner time at the table or away from technology with a you know small bread and um, butter-sized plate or a rice-sized bowl and they have to use chopsticks. So it really slows down their eating time. It also rethinks what they typically do because at the moment we run out the door, we might grab a coffee as we're running to work. We then probably go to a couple of meetings, skip lunch, have our biggest meals in the afternoon and evening time. We go through that cycle all the time. Now, that's not a good thing to do. So we're trying to teach a person how to reorientate their food and how to go to big to small throughout the day. Then as part of that, we're teaching a person how to retrain their brain. Because remember, we've become addicted to those foods. The reason why we've become addicted to the Tim Tams or the chips or whatever it is, is because every time you reach for them or every time you see them, they release this pleasure response in the brain. It's like this this memory that, oh, that food, that that's such a great thing, you know, I need to go and have more of it. I need to go and buy it. And it triggers that feel-good response in the brain. And that's why it's so hard to stop eating them. But you get that same response in the brain from nature's treats. And that's why we always say reach for nature's treats. So a simple example is anything that you're having sweet, like it might be a chocolate bar or some sort of candy. Well, every time you have, you know, fruit and honey and all those things that are actually from the nature state, they will give you that same pleasure response in the brain every single time. So that's why we're trying to get people to slowly wean towards nature's treats. Then we also obviously get them to incorporate activity into their life in a way that's not going to the gym and signing up to a membership that they only do for a couple of weeks and then, you know, neglect the membership and probably have three or four that are getting deducted from their account on a regular basis. So incorporating activity in in a way that's um, incidental and, and you've talked to various people on your podcast too about how to do that and how, you know, incidental activity is very important, you know, walking to the shops and getting it back into your day to day life. And then importantly, in a very summarized version of the six principles is retraining your brain to improve sleep. You know, we've got to get away from technology. We need to allow our sort of wake and night cycle to to happen naturally. And technology and blue light emission is one of the biggest problems to that at the moment. So we get home, we're still on the iPads, we're still on the computers, we're still doing it in, even in the bedrooms, we're surrounded by technology, we can't sleep. There's got to be a certain period of time, you know, even if it's from the minute you get home or the minute you leave your office or from four o'clock in the afternoon where you say no more technology and you start to prepare yourself for that evening time and remove all the blue light emission so you can allow yourself to fall asleep naturally and allow yourself to get better quality sleep. It's also a time of the day which is most challenging for food because we might come home and and reach for say oh no the wine and the cheese or whatever it might be and we unconscious well you consciously really snacking all, all these foods that are around us because we've deprived ourselves all day 
And then we sit in front of the couch and we eat the packet of Tim Tams and, you know, we're, we're mindlessly eating. But it's a time of the day when you should, and we teach people to use it constructively. So we're getting them to actually engage in constructive activities and giving them guides for how to do that so that that time of the day becomes the most productive and then it obviously leads into good sleep patterns and and, and an overall you know, improvement in their lifestyle so that we slowly change habits. We're not getting them to overhaul everything completely. We start with one habit, we move on to the next, and eventually those habits become ingrained in your life. And everyone will have different habits they need to change. But I've, sadly, there are a lot of common ones. And the ones I just referred to, like, you know, the addiction to those processed foods, the technology use, the coming home at the end of the day and, and, and over overeating and binging, they are common things that we're always trying to address. And that's why they're particularly uh, brought out in, in the interval weight loss plan with the six principles. So as you're learning those principles, that will teach you how you lose that two, a small amount of weight loss, two kilos every every second month. And then when you get to the weight maintenance month, basically it means you can just ease off. You can take the foot off the accelerator. You can have more of those treat foods you might have, you know, cut down on during the weight loss months. Well, you could maybe cut down on your, your activity a little bit. So instead of going to the gym and you know, banging out this 40-minute session, you might be able to go there and do an easier 30-minute session because, remember, you've got to focus on maintenance during that month. And how do you do that? You're just weighing yourself once a week. You're choosing the same time, the same day, and you're looking at the trend over time because, like you said, you know, your weight will fluctuate enormously throughout the day. And those 100 and 200 gram differences mean nothing. We're just getting people to look at the trend over time. If the trend is going down 200 grams every week, and then it's a one kilo over the month or two kilos over the month, that's what we're looking for. And it's the same with the weight maintenance month. If it's going up and down each week by one or 200 grams, that is weight maintenance. Okay, that is what we're looking for. We're looking at the trend over time. So it was a big, bit of a long and uh, no, that's fine. way to explain what it is. But, I mean, there's much more to it, and that's the thing. We're just trying to get that information to people. In yeah. It. So the, the idea is that you're saying for a month, what's that line? Uh, the breakfast of a king, lunch is the prince, dinner is the pauper. Exactly. All right, so you're eating this big breakfast, biggest meal of the day, lunch, uh, less, and then dinner to the point where, and I totally can relate to this as someone who wolfs down food and I, and I had to get one for a dog I used to own, like one of those slow feeding mats because she would just <laughs> inhale the food and then puke it back up. So it's like you're eating a tiny little bowl with chopsticks to yes. deliberately slow you down yes. and, and not looking at your phone. So you are in being with the nourishment and actually feeling the sensation of the fullness and allowing those hormones to go, oh, we've eaten enough, to have the time to kick in. And so you go, actually, no, I'm all right. I'm okay. And that's for a month. And then for a month you go, okay, now I'm eating dinner with knife and fork again. Yeah. And you go back to the re- regular meals. You may not have Tim Tams in the house, which is, you know, as someone who has eaten an entire pack of Tim Tams when I've gone for just one, mate, I know too. it's better just for me to not have them around. All right? I, I don't have it anymore, but when I did, I just, I can't buy these things. I just eat the whole thing. And then, then the following month, and, and that 250 grams or so a week is a really sustainable, great amount of weight to lose rather than a kilo a week, 250 grams. And then so at the end of the month, you're like, oh, two kilos, gone, gone. Exactly. And then back we go down to eating dinner with our chopsticks again. And we do that for a year. 
that's fantastic. Yes. And so what you're doing, allowing then is all the, the hormonal responses that we spoke about earlier, the ones that are graduate, the set points and resting metabolic rates and things, we're giving them time to adjust to the new amount of food coming in and the new amount of activity, whether it be I get off the bus, I stop early before work or I get off the bus, I stop early before home or you know I go for a walk three times a week or I put on a podcast, I walk out the door for 10 minutes, I turn around and walk back, I've walked 20 minutes, brilliant. So now that body's adjusting to these things slowly, slowly, slowly. It's, it can't be fast. Like we wish it would be fast because summer's coming or, you know, I've got this wedding I've got to be a bridesmaid at or I'm going away with the boys for a golf weekend and I can't turn up and have them tell me you know, who ate all the pies all weekend and I can't have that. You know, we want it to happen quickly and stay off quickly. But what you're telling us is that if we do that, we are shooting ourselves in the foot and then our body is <laughs> genetically designed to not allow that to sustain. That'd, that'd be right. Exactly. Okay, that cool. is spot on. And, and, you, and like you said, it's basically ingraining habits that you slowly change over time. So we might stick with one thing and for you and I, it might be like we're not moving. So every day we will set regular intervals where we do go out. Instead of driving down the shops to get that milk, we might walk there mm. or we might go out and listen to the podcast, like you said. And mm. once you've worked on that habit and that's become routine, you move on to the next and slowly they just become part of your lifestyle mm. and you can just work on one or two of those habits each month during the weight loss months and then you can carry them on during the weight maintenance months, definitely. You can still yeah. use your chopsticks yeah. but you, you're allowed to be more liberal. Right, right. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that the issue of the fact that we face and the problem that we face is evolutionary. Similarly though, we were from what you, we, you spoke about earlier, our evolutionary makeup has allowed us to survive with our digestive system not working all the time as it does right now. Is there a benefit to having those states of, okay, I'm just not eating? Is it okay to just not eat? Yeah, it's, it's a very important point you raise because now intermittent fasting has become hugely popular. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's largely driven to the likes of, you know, your Mosleys and, and people like that that are pushing different versions of it. It might be 5-2, 16-8, basically referring to the days you eat where you might restrict for two days a week, five days you can be more liberal. Mm. Or 16-8 where you eat during a certain window of the day. Noon to 8 p.m. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everyone's got their own variations of it. But the problem is... If you keep following some sort of restrictive plan where you're trying to lose weight, and we're doing it, say, now with intermittent fasting, and your weight goes down with intermittent fasting, what's going to happen after a few kilos? Uh, my body's going to go, oh, yeah, 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 that's about enough there, champ. Yeah. Let's just hold off now. Any calories that come in, we are just going to hold on to these guys. Exactly. And right. that's what's going to happen. And then you start to go back to your start point. So what, you know, visually, if, you, if you're trying to think of this, like, you know, while you're listening, you go down and then what happens? You've got a classic V-shaped response. It, the weight loss will slow down and then it will start to go back up. So really you're just looking at a, a U or a V. Whereas, remember, with interval weight loss, it's like a step. It goes down and then across, down, across, down, across. So even with intermittent fasting, you might get some health benefits from it. And, and you know, look, some people might have success with it. We People have success with all different approaches. But remember the common factor, fewer than 5% are succeeding long-term. Everyone will celebrate those short-term wins and 
blast off how good they did on that 5-2 diet or whatever it is, but follow them up down the track and they've gone back to their starting point. We're not then talking about the long-term failures, are we? So, you know, to answer your question, sadly, it's just another marketing spin Mm -hmm. on cutting calories from your diet. Mm -hmm. It's fine. We can definitely go longer periods without eating. We don't have to eat all the time. But in this modern day environment, we'll set ourselves up for failure when it's around you all the time. So if you don't eat and then you go walking and then you walk past that KFC or whatever food it is that you love, what's going to happen? We're likely to go and buy it because we deprived ourselves of food. So you've got to set yourself up for success. And that's, again, one of those principles of that interval weight loss plan. By eating regularly and by eating from big to small, you're more likely to be able to curb those cravings and prevent you going to do those impulse buys. Why do we eat from big to small? Why is it important to have the calories get less and less from each meal towards the end of the day towards sleep? Because at the moment, we know that we wake up and then we get home and when we get home, that's when we end up eating most of our food. Mm -hmm. And what foods do we go for when we're hungry? All of those energy-dense, calorie-dense foods. I mean, the wine and the cheese is a great example. It's it's quite common in the Australian culture to go home and drink alcohol and snack and have high-energy-dense snacks with with that drink. Now, that's a bad thing because once you start that, it continues on to the next meal. Then you end up having dinner as your biggest meal. You wake up, you're not hungry, and you go through that same rut. It's because most of the time when you put yourself in that situation where you deprive yourself and you get hungry, you end up selecting the less nutritious options. So we say, look, set yourself up for success. Eat big have less throughout the day, taper off, and then when you get home, your appetite and your hunger won't be as high. Sit down, enjoy that time with family, friends, or if you're alone, listen to a podcast, write in your journal. Dinner's the most important meal from a social, cultural perspective or alone time, whatever it might be, but it's not from a portion size perspective. It's the, it's the time where you should be sitting down to the least amount of food and then waking up, your appetite hormones will be telling you you're hungry and you'll sit down to a bigger, bigger breakfast. The other part of that is that there is a lot of research to show that those who have bigger breakfasts are better able to manage their weight, okay, so from a weight management perspective, but also a mental health and a stimulant and, and alertness type research perspective. So there's, there's a few different reasons, but look, you've got to set yourself up for success and to do that, you need to eat and prevent hunger kicking in. Otherwise, you're going to end up going for those foods that you love. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
I, I you know I look at the the abstinence model because that's what worked for me mm. uh, around drinking and and certainly it works for me around you know I tend it wasn't until I you know lived with Audrey uh, because we have Georgia and we just <laughs> have to have these foods in the house I, I was quite careful about what foods I did have in the house because I, I knew that I didn't have much control over what I was going to eat lots of so I just tended to not have stuff around is that a factor is it a fact is there a planning phase where like okay I know there's these normal things that I normally buy every day or every time I go to the shops I always grab a pack of these is that a factor of like yeah just maybe just don't have it in the house for a while yeah it's a factor but we do it in a weaning process if you just remember go cold turkey cut them out completely one of those biological protections is we go and seek those foods out that are high fat high sugar if you've replaced them remember one of those principles is actually reaching for nature first if you replace them with the nature's goodies that are high in fat avocado or olive oil whatever it might be or the ones high in sugar like your your fruits and and your honey and and um, syrups well look you're going to get the same pleasure response. So you probably can just cut them out. But we often tell people to do it in a, pro, in a way that you, you still love those foods. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the pizza or the ice cream or the chocolate. So let them be part of your lifestyle. You can still have them the once a week, but they shouldn't be part of your day-to-day lifestyle. So just do it in a way that's sustainable. If you prefer to cut them out altogether and you've replaced them and you're still getting the same pleasure response from other aspects of your lifestyle, that's fine. But if they still are enjoyed by you and you still love them, allow yourself to have them because that's what we say. You don't have to cut anything out altogether, but do it in a way that's sustainable and healthy. As someone who sees people who are at by the time they get to your clinic, they're at their most vulnerable. They're at their wit's end. They're like, I'm going to need knee replacement surgery and I'm 30 years old because I'm carrying 180 kilos, right? I talked to a bloke on the weekend who had gastric bypass, you know, the band around his stomach. You know, his, his tummy is about as big as my three fingers right here pulled together. That's about as big as his tummy is, right? He's lost 80 kilos, mm. but bloody hell, that's quite an intervention. In the same way that I've had to take Instagram and Facebook off my phone because I absolutely cannot compete with the AI algorithms that are competing <laughs> for my time. Mate, it's a, it's a pokey in my pocket. People don't understand that about phones. It's yeah. the, they're very, very clever people in Silicon Valley who have designed these things to keep my attention and so I've had to take it out of my life. Similarly, there are very, very clever people who work at massive fast food companies that, and I've read the book Fast Food Nation, I blew my mind when I'd read about the, the amount of testing and labs that were, went on in, to get the fry recipe perfect, the mouthfeel, and they, they, they've got to be sold within this many seconds of coming out of the fryer, otherwise it doesn't make them come back for more. And, you know, the would you like would you like them bigger than that? You know, all that kind of stuff. And in many ways, those things are, are hacking our ability to, to know when we're full and know this is good for me or not good for me because they're just hitting those massive red pleasure buttons in our brains when we put them in our mouths. And it's, it's almost unfair that they can sell that stuff for yeah. me. It is very hard to, to be able to manage in this environment, okay? It's everywhere, but it's also very cheap. Yeah. And just like going to that favourite fast food restaurant, even when you go to your, your local restaurant down the road, most of the time it's going to be much higher in fat, sugar, salt and everything else that you typically wouldn't use in the home environment because why? They want you to come back. It has to taste good. If it tastes like crap, you're not going to go back there. So 
It's the same when it comes to food manufacturing. They're doing all they can to make sure that every time you see that food, you buy it because, again, it's triggering those pleasure responses in the brain. So remember what we're trying to do is retrain your brain Mm. and embrace the modern day environment. The environment is not going to change overnight. Sure, there's certain things we can do to help people or guide people towards better food choices and, and improve health literacy around food, but the fast food giants and the multinational corporations are still going to be here. They're still going to be doing what they do. They're still going to be strategically placing those foods at the end of the aisle or in the checkout as you wait. So what do you have to do? Remember what we talked about. You have to plan for those. And you still need to give yourself or your brain that pleasure response and you need to do it from nature's treats. That's exactly what our ancestors did. Because people, I, you know, when you talk about nature's treats, I've got a, a tub up there of medjool dates and they really are one of the greatest things ever grown. They are just the best. I love them so much. But fruit's got a bad rap. People are like, fruit, it's got fructose. Fructose is sugar. Therefore, bad. I can't have fruit. But it's the packaging that it comes with. It comes with all kinds of fibre. It's not just like this distilled, refined, like sugar that you would find in a soft drink, for example. It, it's, it's packaged with fibrous tissue and, and all kinds of things that go with it that help you absorb that and process it completely differently, right, than a soft drink. Yeah, they, they are a complete food. So to take a step back from that, think of sugar there's two types of sugar you've got added sugars which go into all of those processed and packaged foods and fast foods anything like that then you've got naturally occurring sugars now these are good for us because they're foods that are found in nature's treats a very good example is the fruit that you just talked about now fruit contains sugars but these are naturally occurring they're also as part of a food that contains other nutrition now fiber is one of the great examples you just talked about so What happens? We get the pleasure response from the sugar, which is good. It's also not detrimental for our health. And then secondly, we're getting all of these other nutritional benefits from the fiber, for example, and vitamins and minerals that are packed into that fruit. So they're filling us up, but they're also protecting our health. So these movements that have come out where it's like sugar-free, I quit sugar, and they're telling us to cut out this arbitrary list of foods because they contain sugar. Well, it's all complete nonsense. It means absolutely nothing. You shouldn't be doing it. And all you're doing when you cut those foods out that are full of nutrition and and nutritious is putting your health at long-term risk. I mean, these foods, including whole grain carbohydrates, they fall into categories that are protective for our health. These are the foods that protect us against colon cancer, type 2 diabetes and heart disease. So, I mean, we're getting caught up in all of this conflicting and, and, you know, different marketing material that we get through, you know, various means every day of the week. And again, that's why we did translate this into a weight loss message to say, look, here's your complete guide. Stop listening to everything else. This is based on current science. It's going to tell you how simple it really is. And then you don't need to worry about anything else and all these sugars and all these other movements that we hear every day of the week. Well, yeah, because uh, in, in, like anything, you know, whether it be, I don't know, whether it be coal, whether it be, you know, whatever, follow the money, you know. You follow the money, you'll find out why. I mean, you said yourself, $60 billion a year That's is huge, a lot of money. And if people are trying four or five diets a year, if people are having, as you mentioned, concurrent gym memberships, 
because, you know, both of which they don't go to. Um, that's exactly <laughs> like, right. Because they sign up for 12 months and they can't get out of it or yeah. some crap like that. Yep. Like that's going to be detrimental not only to your self-esteem. Well, I've got two gym memberships I don't go to. Yeah, great, I'm going to eat another pie. Um, that's going to really, really mess you up. Yep. So I doubt there'd be anybody listening who hasn't tried some kind of dieting. If they're like, all right, Nick, I'm in, what should they do? Okay, so the first thing is I would do what you've just recommended. Delete Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff off your phone. Or use one of those apps where it controls how much you use. You know, you can say, look, I like it. I want to use it one hour a day. And I get the alert when that comes up and it stops me using it. Why is that important? Why is it important to not look at Instagram or Facebook if you're trying to lose weight? Sure. Because... We will never look and we don't want to look like those people that we are following on Facebook or Instagram. One, it's not healthy to do so. And two, they don't look like that in real life. Now, what they're pushing onto you is misleading information that's not evidence-based and it's doing more harm than good. There's a very good paper that came out with all these nerdy scientists and doctors and clinicians go to these conferences. They sit around. And they talk about the science. And just last month in Glasgow, we talked about this paper we did on social media influencers. And all they did was pick out 10 leading influencers in the United Kingdom and looked at the information they were flogging. Nine out of 10 of them were were putting out information that was not even closely related to what we now know as sort of best standard care. So not just relating to weight loss, but also what you should be putting into your body. So you're not getting the right information when you're doing that, okay? It's also going to secondly contribute to a distorted perception of what a healthy body image is, and you're going to start thinking potentially that you're overweight when you might already be, you know, in a normal healthy body weight range. So social media is only doing more harm than good. It's the first thing you should do, probably get rid of it altogether. And the second thing is, I mean, it's it, it's very hard to get away from all that noise when it comes to family, friends, colleagues. Everyone tells us about the latest diet they're on and, you know, how they're doing really good or how, you know, Martha down the road has, has lost 20 kilos on this keto approach, so why don't you give it a go? You have to basically stay away from all of that noise because it's the same thing rebranded, remarketed in a different this sort of sexy, neatly packaged product. Yes, you're going to get that success short term and you might drop the dress size or the belt buckle size for the, for the wedding, but you're going to put it back on. Remember, we talked about this extensively today. So they're the two biggest things. Now, if you're then serious about, you know, whatever it might be, improvement in health, uh, nutrition, Weight, you want to lose some weight? Well, look, 70% of us are overweight, so that's potentially high on the list as well. Go about it from an evidence-based approach. Have a look at the interval weight loss plan and follow it. You can follow this for free. If you want to, go to your library. You can borrow the books. You can then jump on. We talked about cutting out Facebook altogether, but I also said that you can have it as a time-restricted window each day. You can jump on a Facebook group that will provide you free additional support on the journey along the way. You'll get your questions answered and you will find support from others that are going through the same journey as you. So they might be at the same life stage. It might be 
postmenopausal. It might be, you know, you've just had the f- your first kid or you might be training for some event, whatever it might be. You, you'll find someone hopefully that you can connect with and it's related to what your situation will be. Or more importantly, you can connect with people that have been on the journey and have already succeeded on it. So you can learn from them how to follow the plan or how to put the plan into place in your life. So have a look and give it a go, but do it with a different mindset. You can't be thinking, I need to get ready for that event or whatever it might be in a month or two months time. You have to think, what is it that I want to do? I want to be slimmer and healthier in 12 months time. You have to look at the longer term picture. If you don't do that, you're doomed for failure the minute you start. And you're not going to be starving doing this. You are going to be enjoying food it's going to give the pleasure back to your lifestyle especially food and exercise and you're going to see improved sleep and importantly it'll improve your health and you'll even lose weight if that is something that you're after because i guess from the, the the method that you're talking about is not just getting a body to use excess fat storage to power your body uh, which is what you know how quick shredding weight loss works uh, as it says in your book you are reprogramming how your body uses that fat uh, and when your body decides to store that fat but that doesn't something that's not doesn't take a month something that doesn't take two months or something that will take a year yes right. sometimes it might be longer if i've got 30 kilos it's my realistic goal weight loss well based on that so you rough 12 kilos a year it's going to take approximately two and a half, three years. It might take longer, but you're still going to get to that result and you're not going to have to worry about your weight again. Some people only have a couple of kilos to lose. Look, they might have five kilos that they've been trying to get rid of for 10, 20 Mm. years. That five kilos might have become six or seven kilos because of the dieting journey. But again, the same thing. You have to follow the principle strictly, but you might not do two kilos a month. You might just do a kilo a month. And then you'll still lose that weight, you know, over the six to 12 months time. So everyone's going to have different goals, Mm. but the approach stays the same. You still follow the same principles and you identify what habits it is that you need to work on in your lifestyle so they become part of your day-to-day life. Nothing feels as good as throwing out the pants you keep for when you're having fat times because you always keep them because you use them. You should never keep them though. (laughs) Get rid of them. Don't. Keep looking at those clothes in the wardrobe thinking that is what I'm working towards. Break free from that mindset. Break through the wall and give your whole life a complete overhaul. Don't give that all or nothing approach. Just do it in slow incremental stages and you will get there. Who'd have thought a slow incremental approach will lead to a lasting permanent solution? Nick, Jiminy Crickets, I can't tell that in a one-minute-long Instagram story. That's amazing. I love it. Man, thank you so much for taking the time to come here today. Pleasure. I really appreciate it. It was great to get – oh, so good to talk about that stuff and and particularly the stuff around the set point because not not a lot of people kind of talk about that enough and that's that's wild to hear the way you described it and, yeah, that was super cool. Thanks, man. Pleasure. I really enjoyed it and – Thanks for coming around. Good hanging out with you. (laughs) Awesome, bro. I'm going to take your photo real quick, all right? Yeah, for sure. Cool, cool, cool. 
That was Dr. Nick Fuller. You can find out more about him, drnickfuller.com, D-R-N-I-C-K-F-U-L-L-E-R.com. Thank you so much to everyone that made the episode with me today, my show producer, Rachel Barrett, who is the funniest funniest, funniest human being. She's magnificent. Also to Andy Marr, the great and powerful, and Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider, who is an incredibly underrated person when it comes to the internet and music. He is very, very good. I highly recommend you get on his Patreon because, boy, howdy, those albums are good. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you need me through the week, send Osher email at gmail.com is where you can get me. I'll talk to you on Friday. Oh, yeah, Masked Singer's on tonight. Hope you enjoy it. It was really fun. Wasn't it great? It was great. Hope you like it. Let me know what you think. I'll see you tonight on the telly and tomorrow night on the telly. Oh, that's right. And then, yeah, yeah, then Friday, back here. All right. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 